Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. It's good to see all of you again this afternoon. Question to get us started. Um, How would you describe what the church is to someone? And if you had to compare it to another institution that exists, which one would you choose and why? What would you do? Imagine a coworker pulls you aside. Heard you went to church a few times in the last year. What's going on with that? Like, how would you, how'd you describe it? Um, kids, we're, great, we're so glad to have you here today. Like, if you're talking to somebody after the half term, and if somebody looks at you, it's like, what were you doing at a church? What would you tell them? Like, what is this that you're sitting in the middle of right now? So everyone from adults to kids, what would we say and why? Well, you might say the church is kind of like going to a gym. Uh, People go to a gym to get physically fit, and people go to a church to get spiritually fit. So they come in, they kind of wave around, they move, they do some things, they interact with some other people that are there for some similar purposes, maybe give some money, uh, have a refreshing beverage, and they're off. Going to church is kind of like going to the gym. You could say going to church is kind of like going to a book club. But instead of reading a modern paperback, we're kind of reading this ageless hardback. And we're we're kind of all about the book. And similar to other book clubs, you turn up. Maybe maybe in this book club, you just kind of sit around. You think you occasionally nod and act like you know what's going on and avoid the crowds and get off. You know, like you're out. Maybe church is like a book club. Maybe you'd say going to church is kind of like going to the shop. Uh, Turn up, have a look around, select something. Um... Avoid crowds there. Go home. You could say the church is like a company. Uh, that yeah, it has a goal. It has a, a hierarchy. It has a website. Uh, ooh, even social media. Wow, look at this one. Like the church is kind of like a company. Further than that, you might say the church is like a charity. Well, it's somewhat company-like, but they're they're not really in it for themselves. They're in it to be a benefit to the community. You could describe that to a coworker on Monday or kids, somebody after the half term. The church is kind of like charity. I submit to you that there's nothing wrong with any of these categories for being able to understand church. I would say there's something wrong when our understanding of church gets reduced down to one of these. When you think about it, a, a, a church that actually doesn't go by the book probably isn't much worth when a a church that is only about the goal or only about the mission or only about the website, that's probably not much, but those things make for perfectly fine elements in a church. But I think the church, I think there's actually another institution that we can get down to that you could say to someone and would make a a whole lot of sense. I would describe the church as a family, as a home for people, as a dwelling place for God. Mark chapter 3, if we could just see it one more time, that's what Jesus says about the church. Looks at a group of people wondering, what are you doing? And Jesus tells them, well, the church is a lot like a family. 
You see it right there. Just have one more look at what Ted read for us. We studied this in our community groups over the last week. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It's hard for us to grasp the scandal of what Jesus is saying in this. Lived in a largely rural village. Um, You wouldn't talk like this. This was foreign. Like this is strange to hear. Here Jesus is explaining Christian identity. Christian identity, your spiritual family, as ranking above a biological family. And for some of us in this room, that's really good news. We don't care much for our biological families, though Jesus in all of Scripture does hold fast that it's important. It's not to be denigrated. It's not being put aside in Mark 3 or in this sermon. But what Jesus does is He holds up the spiritual family high above. He lifts it high for all to see. And He says, this is the superior family. But it's an an intense taboo to go against it. I was trying to think of a a movie um, illustration or reference to this. The closest I could get would be something like uh, The Godfather. You can imagine um, an intense like Italian mafia family in the 60s, right? Going against the family. Just how unheard of that would be. Jesus is doing something uh, far more intense and it's not comical at all. It's shocking. But there we have another question we have to reason with. What comes to our minds when we think about family? It's been said already. I mean, look at us. We're a diverse bunch coming from different backgrounds, different walks of life. Uh, Some in the room, you hear the word family and you kind of light up. Maybe your heart's warmed again on the inside. You're thinking about a mom and a dad that was there for you. Maybe a brother or sister that you got to know and loved you and supported you. Uh, When you think about family, um, man, it just kind of brings back memories. And you're a bit glad to be thinking about family because family's warm. Family's good and encouraging. It's a place of support. But that's not the case all across this room. Some of us, we think of family and we have mixed feelings. Some of us, we have mixed feelings at best. For some of us in this room, family is a place of pain. When you think about mom and dad, you think about brokenness. In this room, a reality for us, when some of us think about family, we think about hurt. We think about the times we were emotionally, spiritually, and some of us physically abused by people who claim to be family. We think about family, we're not left with some warm mood. We're left with a lingering sense of anxiety even now as this is brought up. So what does Jesus describe here? And is there any hope? Is there any hope for this thing called church? And is there any hope for this thing called family? I do think it's the institution that Jesus would have used. Maybe we just have another look at the text together. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Uh, We didn't have a look at this in our community groups this week, but... We want to understand how Scripture sits within a broader context. So we have a look at verses 20 and 21. And you see what's going on with Jesus' earthly family. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Um, translation, they think He's flipped. They, they, think he's, they think He's lost it. They think He's gone mad. And 
Um, it's amazing what Mark does. Mark doesn't waste time. If you like people that are really to the point, um, maybe not effusive Americans that are going to take forever to kind of arrive at the statement, but like somebody that's just going to kind of give it to you straight, the gospel of Mark is your gospel, right? The guy is action-packed, doesn't waste time. He spends as few words as possible explaining every single interaction and every single situation. And yet Mark kind of goes to extra links here to tell you a few things about Jesus's family. And that actually highlights the importance of what we have to see. Um, something happening here in verses 20 and 21, the, this word, let's go and get him. It's actually a Greek word that says, let's go arrest him. And five times in the gospel of Mark, people want to arrest people. They want to go arrest John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all time. Here, Jesus' family says, let's go arrest him. And then later in the story, Jesus gets arrested because some people stand around and they say the very words that his family says here. And he's lost it. It's on us. We need to go take him back. Time to go grab him. Time to go lock him up in a room. Enough of this. You feel the emotion coming off of this? His family, they're showing confusion. They're showing concern, but you can even hear the hostility. The arresting language is a bit aggressive. It's time to go get him. It is time to take him, and it is time to show him, is what his family says. There's something very practical for us about this. Again, considering the diversity across the room, uh, we didn't all come to faith in the Lord Jesus in the same way. We came from different backgrounds. There have been some people that the Lord Jesus has brought into the kingdom through the ministry of this congregation, and some of them have received violent treatment from family members because of it. If the Lord Jesus had family members looking at him saying, we ought to go arrest him, he's lost it. Followers of Jesus here in this room, we can expect something of the same to be ours at some point in our journey. Verses 22 to 30. I realize there's some hot button things here. And yeah, I'm doing one of those things. We're not going to talk about it, but we will preach on it one day. I'm not going to tell you when, so you got to keep coming back. So if anything in here interests you, keep coming around. But what he does is he emphasizes, he emphasizes who he is to the people who are gathered around him. And then in verses 31 and 32, his family turns up. But you have some context now. You understand. They, they, they've stood around and they've said he's flipped. It's time to go get him. So it's not like, oh, we haven't seen Jesus in a few days. Now we go look for him. It's, uh, we, know, we know where he is. We know what he's up to. It's time to go and get him. So let me read it again for you. Mark chapter 3, verse Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone inside to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Uh, the position's intentional. Uh, they, don't, they don't come inside where Jesus is, they stand outside completely lends itself to the idea, let's go get him, let's pick him up, and let's, let's be on our way. So you do have this intentional pictures. There's outsiders to Jesus' family, and there's insiders to Jesus' family. 
And Mark, who doesn't waste your time and he doesn't waste words, he wants you to know they didn't come in. Now, they're going to come around, but they're not in yet. So at this point, his, his physical family is on the outside. And if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, and you know what it is for your family to be on the outside and for you to be on the inside, you can look at the Lord Jesus and you can draw some comfort. Look at this one who knew what it was to belong to the Father while his family didn't understand him. Look at him. A comment does need to be made. Um, we, we, all come to, we, all, we all come to the Lord Jesus from different backgrounds, different walks of life, even uh, different theologies, uh, different, different kind of houses within the church, different tribes. Um, maybe you're coming from a Catholic background or you know someone, you're even actively sharing the gospel with someone um, who's currently practicing Catholic and you're looking for like ways to point out how can I kind of get in here? What can I be talking about with this person? I don't know, it's just something that's worth noting about Catholic teacher, the, the perpetual Virgin Mary. Um, I'm not knocking, we're in mixed company with the kids as well, but like, um, she's not a virgin here. Surrounded by brothers, got a couple of unnamed half-sisters that Matthew and Mark even tell you they exist as well. Um, so, so here's Mary. Luke, the Gospel of Luke calls her blessed. And we say, look, she's blessed. Like, she's different. But we don't need a mediator. No, we have one. His name's Jesus. He's sitting in the middle of the room. He's not on the outside. And, and, and here's Mary. History honors her. But here the Lord Jesus. Who's my mom? Oh, she's in here. Yeah. Verses 33 to 34 then. Shocking response. Absolutely shocking. It's shocking because he knows who his family is. He knows who Mary is. He knows who Joseph is. He knows he's physically related to some people. Remember, he had an adoptive father, so he has a couple of half-siblings. He knows he's over there with James and Joseph or Joseph. So he's got James, Simon, Jude, and the Gospels tell you there's some sisters as well. So Mary and Joseph had other kids. Matthew's very careful to tell us. We pick this up at Christmas. We go back and remember it now. Matthew's very careful to tell us. Joseph didn't know her until she had Jesus. It lends itself to, they got on with it after that. Well, God's clearly teaching us here that our biological and spiritual families matter. But it's shocking to hear what he's saying in this. Uh, yesterday, right outside these windows here, right outside these doors, uh, yesterday school broke for half term. My kids, we're glad you're here. Moms and dads were praying. And um, all throughout the yard, there was like parents calling for kids. I want you to, want you to imagine this. Not just like me calling my uh, seven years old tomorrow's son, Shepherd, calling him. It's like, Shepherd, Shepherd, can you imagine if one of your children straight up turned around, and it's like, who's my dad? This is my dad. These are my brothers. These are my mothers. Looking around like a primary school class. Like, what'd you say? Get over here, you know? And here's grown man Jesus. He knows full well who his actual family members are. And he's leading us to think, no, 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 around here, here they are. So who's my family? 
verse 35 gives us the answer. Whoever does God's will is my family. Looking around the circle, looking around the room, pointing at people. Jesus says, here they are. They're not out there. Oh, family, my family, my superior family, they're sitting right here. This means, if this is you, then this means that Jesus is your older brother. God the Father is your dad. And everyone else in this room right now who does the will of God is your brother and sister in a superior way to your biological family. It is radical what he proposes. So let's, let's, let's parse it out. Three facts about Jesus' family. We'll focus on, on three simple phrases. The first word is whoever. So Jesus' family, thank you, son. Jesus' family is open to anyone. Anyone. You hear him say whoever? He doesn't say, oh, well, this postcode. He doesn't say, oh, well, only people... On, on this mode of transport. He doesn't say, oh, these sorts of people. He doesn't name a class. He doesn't name a caste. Whoever. Look how broad He is. Consider the Lord Jesus. How inclusive He is. Whoever. In the room this afternoon, you didn't anticipate this stuff coming up, but here we are. Whoever, you, adult, you, child, in this room today, whoever, whoever. So anyone can get in on this. Jesus is maximally inclusive. Whoever, anyone can get in on this. Anyone. He includes, he includes your gender. He includes your background. He includes your sexuality. He includes your color of skin. He includes your history. He includes your past. He is open to you, whoever, whoever, whoever. What if you could hear the Lord Jesus inviting you through this? You hear him, you hear this word, but you know yourself to be on the outside of the house, but you can hear the answer, whoever, whoever, whoever. Friend, Jesus might be inviting one of you today. You may have known people to discriminate against you or over you, but the Lord Jesus is not discriminating. No, His followers may do a good job of misrepresenting Him from time to time, but look at Him. He is inclusive. He is generous. He is undiscriminating in His whoever. Do you feel like Christianity has looked down on you? Maybe you feel like Christianity has looked at you with the word other than whoever. Hear afresh from the Lord Jesus, whoever. Some of us in this room, we might be guilty of closing Christianity to a certain sort of people. We need to hear the Lord Jesus, whoever. Whoever. Jew, Gentile, whoever, man, woman, whoever, slave, free, whoever, saint, sinner. That's what he says. And he goes on, whoever does the will of God, whoever does God's will. So where he began massively inclusive, now it seems that he brings a qualification that none of us could achieve. Whoever does God's will, 
I mean, to do the thing and to do it perfectly, who could ever achieve this? I'm reading this this week. Had some time with the Lord Jesus. Within an hour, I was rough in my communication, wasn't sensitive, I was selfish, it was about me, it wasn't about the Lord Jesus. Whoever does God's will, who in here can hold this thing perfectly? So he starts his inclusive, anybody can get to this. It's like, oh. And then he puts his qualification on us. Whoever does God's will. What does it mean? What does it mean to do God's will? We notice there's an inside and an outside movement to this. We notice there's some that are inside sitting around him in verse 32. And he looked at the people sitting around him and he said, whoever does God's will. Well, doing God's will involves what we see here. It's getting together to listen to Jesus. It's getting together to learn from Jesus and to be shaped by Jesus. That's what it means to do God's will. Not with some measure of scientific perfect, perfectness where we never miss, misstep, or we, we ever miss our words or miss an interaction with each other. But no, we're found where these people are found. There's something about our lives. There's a pattern. We're gathering around the Lord Jesus. And we're sitting at His feet. There's submission to the Lord Jesus. And there's an openness of heart. We're listening to Him. Lord Jesus, lead me, teach me, and guide me. So what does it mean to do the will of God? They're sitting at His feet. They're listening to His voice. Well, there we can see. It's not an academic exercise. And just kind of going and coming from a gathering doesn't make you a family member. No, there's gathering around Him with an intent to listen to Him, to receive Him, and to go and do whatever He says. So if you're here today because there's something about you, maybe you even kind of stumbled in here for some other mental thoughts and reasons, but in this moment, if you're like, yeah, that's me, I want to gather around Jesus. I want to listen to the Lord Jesus. I want Him to shape my life. Then you're one of these people doing the will of God. Well, this is going to lead us to do two things. How do you become someone who does the will of God? Two things. You got to be about repentance and you got to be about believing. Mark 1.15, Jesus walks onto the scene a few chapters ago. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of Sears. Repent. Believe the good news. Well, this is how you're going to join the family. So repenting is about turning away from the life that you used to live without God. Repentance is about turning to God and living a life with God. That's how you get in on the family. You say, I'm done with my, myself. I'm done with my allegiance. Unto you, Lord Jesus. It involves, it involves believing as well. Not just assenting to propositions about Him, but trusting Him with our lives. You notice in verse 27, He's speaking about how He's here to defeat sin. He's here to bind up the devil and to return us to Himself. So we repent and we believe these things and we come in to His Lordship. Whoever does the will of God, if that's you, if you're someone who does the will of God, hearing from the Lord Jesus here, we hear and we think, how's my doing doing? How am I doing with that? Well, he concludes, whoever does God's will is my family. It means we ultimately belong to Jesus' family. Jesus' family who's come to take charge of Him He's saying, yep, you belong to me. We belong to the one 
who was misunderstood and his own earthly family members came to him five different times in the Gospel of Mark to arrest him. They stood outside. They wouldn't go in. They sent word to him. And Jesus' family looks around the room and he says, these right here who do the will of God, these are my family. He's not saying our biological and adoptive families don't matter. From the cross, you'll see this in a couple of weeks when we're into Easter, from the cross, Jesus ensures that his biological mother is taken care of and making sure she's going to receive the care and leading from John from now on. Jesus isn't one of those that says, local church is it, forget those people you came from. He values it, and he says, this one ought to rank higher. God is the perfect Father who loves us and will never let us down. Jesus is our big brother who gave his life for us. And we're surrounded by people right now, if they do the will of God, Jesus says, here's your family. Family. But we need to press into this just a little more. And don't worry, I'm about, not, not about to start a whole other summer. This is moving towards conclusion. Um, there's one pastor named Ed Shaw. Um, he's written about how his church family has shared his life with him and been family to him. If you know the name Ed Shaw, you know that Ed Shaw, he can, he's uh, same-sex attracted. But because of his love for God, he refuses to act on that desire and he's given himself over to a life of celibacy. And as a single man who's a pastor of a church, Ed Shaw has a wonderful book where he talks about how he longs for company. Some of us this afternoon, we know what it's like to have a life that longs for company. He wrote a book called The Plausibility Problem and he described his weekly routine with his church family. And it's beautiful. I'm just going to give you a, a few bits. He talks about how one, one night of the week he goes to the family around the corner from where he lives. Uh, they're trying to get the kids to bed, and he rushes in, overexcites the kids before bedtime, and then they go up, and he sits down to have a simple meal, and they go into the other room, and they just talk about how life is going. And this pastor talks about how these people are family to him. Meets with another couple that doesn't have kids at a cafe later in the week. Another day, uh, dinner with a single man, and after dinner, they go sit and they put the whole world to rights. And he accounted by the time he was writing this, he had been personally ministered to by an estimated 400 meals with other people. He said it makes the difference for everyone involved. He says, this makes all the difference for me, someone who longs for company, and this makes all the difference to the people that I'm with as well. So we can hear all of this from Mark 3 and we can think, man, let's get on with it. Let's get on with being God's family and doing God's will and treating one another as family. But the tension is not quite resolved because a few of us in here, we're thinking to ourselves right now, feels like we got a way to go. And you're right, because we do. Think about how diverse we are in this room. Think about it, like actively on the spot. Like, don't put it off. Think about it right now. Think about how diverse we are around the room. Do you realize as, as, as often as we get together, we can have as many as eight or ten different cultures or ethnicities represented when we come around? We're a diverse bunch. And think about the different people that are in the room right now. Single persons, 
married persons. But it's more nuanced than that. It's married without kids. It's single and content. It's single and aching for community, aching for a partner. In this room, older persons, younger persons. In this room, children. In this room, youth. In this room, by God's grace alone, wealthy people. And in this room, right now, lower income people. We just don't have what other people have. And we're all here right now. And you can go on and on and on with this. You can think about what it feels like to be, what it must feel like to be a majority person in the room right now. And then you could give yourself to the other side of that and you could think, what, what does it feel like to be a minority person in this room right now? You can think, what does it feel like to be a majority person kind of going to meet with your majority church family week in and week out? But then you could think, what does it feel like to be a minority person and to, to, to go again to meet with my minority church family right now? When we, when we kind of get the attention off of ourselves and we, we start looking around and we start considering and beholding one another, um, it ought to do a few different things in our hearts. Hopefully we can find a, a time or two or a place or two in our lives where, well, goodness, I'm actually being family to this person. But maybe the Holy Spirit who loves us and wants to form us and shapes us shows us in this moment some gaps. Each and every one of us. Man, that's family. I got a ways to go here. Jesus says, these are your mothers and your brothers and your sisters and your fathers. Here in this church, we call those fathers, we call them elders. I know it's a bit cheesy, like, but I'm getting to be 37, so I can move into this, right? Um, we, we call them elders. They're, they're a bit of your church dads, you know? Not perfect dudes, just like your earthly dad. But there are some things that they've been examined for, according to the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration and authority of the Holy Spirit. There's something set apartness to them, but they're here to look after you and care for you in different ways. Well, the implication is we're going to have church mothers being raised up among us as well, able to provide spiritual, motherly nurturing and care. We do well to think about how diverse we are and how it must feel to be the other person around the room. Spirit can lead us and help us apply this. The other thing that we need to say here, though, is that we probably feel like family to some people here, and we probably have a long way to go for others. Odds are you can experience some of the good things happening here. I was moved to tears between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. last Saturday morning during Break the Soil when I listened to single women in this room praying and begging God for the marriages of some of the married women in this room. Family. I was shaken. As a biological parent, to listen to my brothers and sisters begging God for the children of this congregation. Was moved. I can look around this thing and I can see fruit. I can see progress. Sitting in there, listening to men and women begging God for marriages and begging God for unbelieving spouses and begging God for salvations. 
You want to talk about a fire going up in your soul and in your spirit, sitting here and listening to this, looking at the grace of God on active display, transcending ethnic lines, culture lines, just God given to us. It's beautiful. Get together with the elders of this church, listening to their thoughtful, patient, not flipping, not joking, not cavalier concern for all members of this body. They're not related to you, but they consider you to be family, look after you, labor over you. Um, I had to answer a call on uh, Friday morning as uh, our four-hour elders meeting concluded, and David Brown and I were walking Salisbury, continuing to talk about things, figuring it out. Just a brotherly concern, yeah? And yet at the same time, as sweet as that is and as real as that is, we probably got some stuff that we still got to figure out, yeah? Just the ways we still got to go with one another so we don't lose heart. We don't look around and think, oh. No, we look around and say, man, God's in this. This thing's 18 months old. He's with us. And we look around and we consider to ourselves, man, I could probably examine my life and my habits and interactions with people, and I could, I could find some ways we got to shore this thing up. So pastorally, two words for us all. Number one, the church needs to be more like family. This is concluding stuff. The church needs to be more like family. Jesus is telling us what he thinks of us, and we got to go work this out now. We ought to treat one another as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, practically. Yeah? This means we ought to develop appropriate affection and closeness for one another, not distance from one another. This means that around the room, there ought to arise over time as we get to know each other and trust each other and experience things from each other. It ought to gently arise from us in a non-forceful manner over time, honor and respect for certain people. We're looking around and we're thinking, and God's doing something here. We're considering ourselves and where we are maturity-wise, and we're thinking, man, some deference is needed in some relationships. In a corporation, you would defer based on power and money, but in a family, you would defer based on age, maturity, and spirit. According to what Jesus is saying, the church needs to become a little more family-like. So we include kids here. We welcome kids. They're not a distraction. They are wanted. But the church needs to become a little more family-like. So married person to single person. We're thinking around the room, man to man and man to woman. The church needs to become a little more family-like. We could do with the development of some close, non-sexualized relationships with persons of the opposite sex. Um, a specific way the Lord pricked my heart in the, in the last week was just imagining what, what it might be like to be a single person. Imagining, am, am I going to be touched this week for longer than two seconds? And some of us in this room, like, we don't have, that thought never goes through our mind. But here's our family with needs. We go on with it like family. Well, there's, there's going to have to be some generosity. There's going to have to be some acceptance of one another. There's going to have to be some tenacity in this, some stick with itness. You know, you kind of get in a fight, kind of quick to make up, quick to hug, and quick to get going again. You know, we're, I mean, we're a family, right? And we even hear some of this and we think Acts 2, 42 to 47, like they held all things in common with one another. There ought to be something about this that looks more like that over time. And we hear this and we might be, we might be those people. You might be someone that thinks, well, 
you know, that's why we can't be in a large church because that's just not possible in a large church. Well, think about it. The church in Jerusalem was estimated to be about 5,000 people. And yet there was something about the overall shape and pattern of their life together towards as if they were sharing things. They had stuff in common. They were looking after one another. There were still meals happening all throughout the week. Whoever does the will of God means I am connected to that person across the room, whether I know their name or not. Another thing here, well, yeah, the other thing here is the family needs to be more like a church. I am, I am sensitive as I try to open this next one up because it's going to sound like I'm strapping the burden on some, some couples and some families here just trying to get this applied here. But here we go. Like, stick with me in this. The, the boundaries of some of our families and homes, they need to become a little more porous. It needs to be easier to enter into some of these things and easier to just kind of show up and come round, according to Jesus. Family's got to look a, more, a little more like a church, but the church got to look a little more like a family. Um, this means we're going to have to figure out a way to live differently than our neighbors around us, because the neighbors around us, um, they're getting as much money as they can to put as much space as they can between themselves and other people. Christians are going to have something different then. Followers of Jesus today, we're going to have something to our lives where we are pursuing money, but instead of creating space, it can be to get as many people as around, to get a door that people can come through, to find a table that people can sit at, and to find a few sticks of furniture that we can all sit in together and we can just talk about how life is going. If we're not careful, we can idolize stuff. We can idolize our, our home or our comfort or our time with our kids or our time with one another, or our own time to ourselves, when all around us is family, aching with needs, longing to be invited over, longing to see however you cook. Oh, we need to become a little more porous as well. But I'll admit, this can be difficult, this can be demanding, and I'm almost done. Um, this last year was incredibly difficult for, for my biological family. And just because the needs like around us, we, we, we tried to have people around. There wasn't a, let's just duck for cover for a season, but it's, oh, this is hard and I'm aching and I'm grieving, but come, like, let's do this. Now we ought to think like there's a way we can move into this that's actually different than our neighbors to where the table doesn't always have to be set perfectly and the, the washing up doesn't have to be done just right and there can actually be a little pile of dirty clothes kind of in the corner of the kitchen if necessary. What if the church became a place where we actually had this countercultural way with each other where it's like, look, you can come see me anytime. Just let me know if you want me to book you an appointment to see a clean house. We can find a way into this. We can find a way. Sam Albury has a book uh, where he talks about seven myths of singleness. He talks about how some of my friends have said things like, well, look, you know where we are, and you know the door is always open. But he goes on to explain is how a single man, it kind of still leaves the burden on him to where he feels like he's having to do all the calling up and all the seeking after. It's with us too. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother and sister. We need to make a move to close, but I can't do it without saying this. Any, for any word in here for anyone dis discouraged by their biological earthly families, take heart. Look at the Lord Jesus sitting on the inside of a room, 
a bunch of bunch around a bunch of people he is not physically related to. And think about the fact that gathering around him in his in his crucifixion is going to be his 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 mother Mary, and gathered around him in the resurrection and praying are going to be his brothers. Now they indeed come through, and they don't just come through, they go on to be leaders in the movement and mission of the Son. So for any of us in here, we give them to God, and we give them time. We consider how at the resurrection and in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the earth. There was fire in the upper room, and His brothers were in there. James, who wrote the book of James, was standing on the outside in Mark chapter 3. And he hears Jesus in there talking about, these are my brothers. And you go read the book of James and you listen to how he opens up that wonderful book, Brothers. He's in. So if you're discouraged by the state of your biological earthly family, carefully consider the Lord Jesus Those who are outsiders in Mark chapter 3 are insiders by the time you get around to Acts chapter 1. Give them to God and give them time. And finally, for anyone discouraged by their single, married, or children's status. A bold statement from Jesus here. He's not breaking family ties, but He is loosening them. And you consider the lives of other people who have gone before. Single saints that have shaken the world for God. Elijah Esther, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, wholehearted in their devotion and commitment to God, trusting God in every single season of life and a thorough part of the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, having kids doesn't come down to procreation, it comes down to regeneration. Men and women, saints of old, that have many spiritual children to their name, who are single-handedly responsible for building churches and for staffing ministries with the hours that God's given them in their lives.